Hi, welcome to This Week in Tudor History with me, Claire Ridgway, author of several Tudor history books. Now, in this new series, which I'm going to publish every Sunday, I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently from previous years. I'm going to be looking at Tudor history events a week at a time, listing events for each day and picking out a few to go into more detail on rather than doing a daily video. I will do a daily post on the community part of the YouTube channel, though, sharing events for each day and sharing previous videos. So today's video, I'm going to cover the 4th to the 10th of January. In this week in Tudor history, on the 4th of January 1569, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, scholar, author and royal tutor, Roger Ascombe was buried in St. Stephen's Chapel at St. Sepulchre without Newgate, London. He'd been taken ill on the 23rd of December 1568, but had suffered with ill health throughout his life, suffering from what we think was malaria. He was about 53 when he died. Ascombe had served as a tutor to Elizabeth I in her youth and is also known for his book Toxophilus, the first English book on archery, which he dedicated to King Henry VIII, who was a keen archer. I'll give you a link to my more detailed video on him. You'll find all the links in the description. Then on Sunday, the 5th of January, 1511, in the reign of King Henry VIII, a lavish christening took place at the Chapel of Observant Friars at Richmond in Surrey. It was the christening of a prince. Prince Henry. The little prince, who was given the title Duke of Cornwall, had been born at Richmond Palace on New Year's Day and was the son of King Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. News of the birth of this prince and heir to the throne had been met with bonfires, wine being given out to the citizens of London and processions. The birth of a living son, a prince, was definitely something to be celebrated. A record in Letters and Papers states that for the prince's christening, a 24-foot-wide way between the hall and chapel was new gravelled, then strewn with rushes and barriers and rails were erected. The south side of the way was hung with cloth of arras, and then approaching the chapel, both sides were hung with arras. Inside the chapel, arras had been hanged everywhere. It must have looked so sumptuous and colourful. The record goes on to give details of the godparents and gifts. Godfathers were the French king Louis de Valois and the Archbishop of Canterbury, Warham, godmother Margaret, Duchess of Savoy, at the confirmation, the Earl of Arundel. My Lord of Winchester was deputy for the French king and the Countess of Surrey for the Duchess. The French king gave a salt, 51 ounces, and a cup, 48 and a half ounces, of fine gold and to the lady mistress, a chain worth £30, and to the midwife, £10. The following month, there were more celebrations for Henry, Duke of Cornwall's birth, when on the 12th and 13th of February, a spectacular tournament took place, the Westminster Tournament. The king as Coeur Loyal, Loyal Heart, accompanied by three knights who are recorded as Bon Valois, Bon Espoir and Valiant Desire, were to run the tilt against all commoners. The king and his knights, playing the same parts with other knights and ladies too, took part in a court pageant. 
Chronicler Edward Hall describes how a wheeled pageant was brought into the Great Hall. It was beautifully decorated, with every post and pillar being covered with gold and with trees, vines, flowers and herbs made of satin, damask, silver and gold silk. Plus, everyone involved was dressed in lavish costume. Unfortunately, things went rather wrong when the pageant was moved out of the way for the dancing. Hall describes how the rude people ran over to the pageant and broke it up. Also, when the king and his companions danced and said that the ladies, gentlewomen and ambassadors could take letters of gold off their garments as tokens, the common people saw what was happening and stripped the king and his companions down to their hose and doublets. The king's guard had to come in and put a stop to it, but it was soon forgotten. Hall writes of how all these hurts were turned to laughing and game, and that it ended with mirth and gladness. However, he also recalls that a shipman of London who got hold of some of the gold letters sold them to a goldsmith for £3, 14 shillings and 8 pence. Sadly, the little prince, Henry Duke of Cornwall, died on the 22nd of February that same year, 1511, when he was just 52 days old. We don't know what happened. But Henry VIII had to wait until October 1537 for the birth of a legitimate living son. On the 6th of January 1538, also in the reign of King Henry VIII, Jane Dormer, Duchess of Ferrier, was born at Ethorpe in Buckinghamshire. Jane was a favourite of Queen Mary I and was the one Mary trusted on her deathbed to deliver her jewels to Queen Elizabeth I. She married Gomez Suarez de Figueroa, Count of Feria, later Duke of Feria, in December 1558. Let me give you a few facts about this Tudor lady. Jane was the daughter of Sir William Dormer and his first wife, Mary Sidney. Following her mother's death in 1542, Jane was brought up by her paternal grandmother, Jane Lady Dormer, and was given a Catholic upbringing. In 1547, when she was nine years old, Jane was admitted into the household of Princess Mary, the future Mary I. When Mary became queen in 1553, Jane was one of the ladies chosen to attend on her. She was known for her beauty, with one poet writing, Dormer is a darling and of such lively hue that whoso feeds his eyes on her may soon her beauty view. Jane met her husband, the Count of Ferrier, in 1554, a favourite of Philip of Spain, when he accompanied the Spanish king to England in preparation for Philip's marriage to Mary I. Despite opposition from his family, the Count made Jane his wife on the 29th of December 1558, not long after Elizabeth I had come to the throne. In 1559, the couple left England and Jane gave birth to their first child, a son, Lorenzo, in September 1559 in the Low Countries. After Jane had recovered, they made their way to Spain, travelling through France, where they met Mary, Queen of Scots. Settled in Spain, Jane and the Count opened their home to Catholic exiles from England, Ireland and Scotland, and they supported the Jesuits. In September 1571, Jane lost her husband, the Duke of Ferrier, and her grandmother, Lady Dormer, who'd helped exiles in Louvain. 
Jane became a leader of exiles and some English exiles put pressure on Philip of Spain to send Jane to the Low Countries to help neutralise opposition to Spain there. Philip didn't send her, but he did support her financially in her support of exiles. On the Duke's death, Jane's son Lorenzo became Duke. In 1579, Jane's role with the exiles was reduced when Sir Francis Englefield, her friend and fellow patron of exiles, settled in Spain and took over. In the 1590s, Jane's relationship with her son soured for a time due to his opposition of renewed plans for her to go and lead the exile community in the Low Countries. Jane, however, continued to support exiles and to try and influence Philip of Spain's policy towards England. Jane even presented the king with documents signed by herself, Englefield, and Jesuits Robert Persons and Joseph Cresswell, asking Philip to proclaim his daughter Isabel as Queen of England and pushing for him to establish a council in the Low Countries that would focus on English affairs. Philip denied both requests. In 1600, Jane wrote to James VI of Scotland, encouraging him to embrace Catholicism. And when he came to the English throne in 1603, there were plans to send Jane back to England as a lady-in-waiting for his queen consort, Anne of Denmark. However, Lorenzo opposed the plan. But then Lorenzo died in 1607. However, Jane didn't travel to England. By this time, she was suffering from ill health. She died on the 13th of January, 1613, and was laid to rest in Spain in the monastery of Santa Clara in Thafra. So that was an overview of the life of Jane Dormer. On the 7th of January, 1619, the famous goldsmith and miniaturist Nicholas Hilliard was laid to rest at the parish church of St. Martin in the Fields, London. His exact death date is not known, but he was around 72 years of age. Hilliard, who was from Devon originally, is known for his beautiful portrait miniatures of the English court in the reigns of Elizabeth I and James I, and also his paintings of Elizabeth I, the Pelican portrait and the Phoenix portrait. On the 8th of January 1570, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, Henry Clifford, 2nd Earl of Cumberland, father of George Clifford, Elizabeth I's champion, who I mentioned a few days ago, died at his home, Broome Castle. He was buried at Holy Trinity Church, Skipton. Here are a few facts about this Earl of Cumberland. Clifford was born in 1515 and was the eldest son of Henry Clifford, 1st Earl of Cumberland, and his second wife, Margaret Percy, daughter of the 5th Earl of Northumberland. Clifford went to the royal court in his youth and attended on Henry VIII's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Richmond and Somerset at Pontefract Castle. In 1533, during the celebrations for the coronation of Queen Anne Boleyn, Clifford was made a Knight of the Bath. In 1535, when he was about 20 years of age, Clifford married Henry VIII's niece, Eleanor Brandon, daughter of Charles Brandon, Duke of Suffolk, and Mary Tudor, Queen of France. The couple had three children, Margaret, Henry and Charles, but sadly the boys died young. In 1537, Clifford attended on Henry VIII's eldest daughter, Mary, at the funeral of the king's third wife, Jane Seymour, at Windsor. 
and in January 1540, he was in attendance at the meeting of Henry VIII and Anne of Cleves. He was also appointed as Henry VIII's carver in 1540. In the 1540s, Clifford served the king as a soldier in the north, but lost out on being appointed as warden general of the marches, with the position going instead to John Dudley. However, Clifford was appointed to the Council of the Borders and then to the Council of the North. He served again in the North in a military capacity in 1559 and 1560, following Elizabeth I's accession to the throne. Back in 1547, Clifford's wife Eleanor died. Clifford was devastated and, according to a family story, could only be brought back from a certain death by suckling from a woman's breasts. The grief-stricken Earl retired from court and spent time in his northern estates dabbling in distilling, alchemy and astrology. In 1553, Clifford narrowly avoided being caught up in the succession crisis caused by Edward VI's death. John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, leader of the young king's government, had wanted Clifford's daughter Margaret to marry his son, Lord Guilford Dudley. But Guilford ended up marrying Lady Jane Grey, Clifford's niece, instead. Margaret ended up marrying Henry Stanley, 4th Earl of Derby. In 1554, Clifford married his second wife, Anne Dacre, daughter of William, 3rd Baron Dacre of Gilsland, and daughter also of Lady Catherine Neville. The couple went on to have at least three children. George, who'd become 3rd Earl of Cumberland, Francis, who'd become 4th Earl, and a daughter, Francis, who married Philip Wharton, 3rd Baron Wharton. In Elizabeth I's reign, Clifford was accused of supporting Catholic priests in the north, but things improved for the Earl when his son George married Margaret Russell, daughter of the Earl of Bedford, a member of a Protestant circle at court. Although he was implicated at first in the 1569 Catholic Rising of the North, a rebellion by fellow Catholic Northern Earls, Clifford was able to demonstrate his loyalty to the Queen by holding his castle at Broome in her name. He died at Broome Castle on the 8th of January, 1570. On the 9th of January, 1587, schoolmaster and map engraver Clement Adams died. Adams, who was originally from Warwickshire, was around 68 years of age. Adams is known for his re-engraving and reworking of Sebastian Cabot's world chart, which he completed in 1549. Adams's chart was responsible for England focusing on the northeast passage rather than the northwest passage. Adams was rewarded for his efforts by being given a life appointment as schoolmaster to the king's henchmen. Now, henchmen sound like right troublemakers, don't they? But they were actually the young men, the courtiers close to King Edward VI at his royal court. And on or around the 10th of January 1603, religious writer, Puritan and clergyman Arthur Dent died of a fever. Dent had made his will three days earlier. Dent's works included his Sermon of Repentance, The Ruin of Rome, or an Exposition Upon the Whole Revelation, and The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven, which was very popular and had reached its 25th edition by 1640 
and its 41st edition by 1831. It influenced John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and Richard Baxter's The Poor Man's Family Book. Ezekiel Culverwell wrote of Dent's death. His life was not more profitable to others than his death was peaceable to himself. Scarcely a groan was heard, though his fever must have been violent, which dispatched him in three days. Having made a pithy confession of his faith, this faith, said he, have I preached, this faith have I believed in, this faith I do die in, and this faith would I have sealed with my blood, if God had so thought good, and tell my brethren so. He afterwards said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. And with his last breath added, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy law is exceeding broad. Of course, the name Arthur Dent is better known as the protagonist of Douglas Adams's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which seems rather similar, doesn't it, to The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven. But apparently, it's just coincidence. Douglas Adams stated that he'd never heard of Dent's work. If you're interested in reading The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven, it can be read online at archive.org and I'll give you a link in the description. In the description, you'll also find links to videos I've done in previous years on Tudor events from the 4th to the 10th of January. And I'll also be sharing links daily on the community page of this channel. Do make sure you're subscribed, click there, and that you've hit the bell so you don't miss out on other videos and posts that I add. I have other plans for this channel too, so do keep your eye on it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can enjoy podcasts on a daily basis. Thank you.